Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm producer Jason Dawes, and here with me are our hosts, Dr. Russ McCullough and Dr. Justin Clark, and my fellow graduate assistant, Jacob Michael. Great. So today, I think we are going to discuss uh, one of my favorite articles um, when I teach undergraduate ethics, which is The Survival Lottery by John Harris. And it has to do with organs. And we often find things like organ markets being talked about. Uh, well, let's get a little more specific here. We're talking heart and what exact organs? Are any, kind of organs any organs that are necessary for survival, like okay. a transplant organ. Because it is a... It is, so does that include private parts, I guess? I want to make sure that we're clear on this. I wouldn't imagine it does. I don't think so, because I don't okay. think... Uh, survival? I don't think... So your survival depends on those. I would say that's probably true, I guess. Yeah. So, okay. No one dies just, on the... Just want to make sure that... <laughs> on, uh, the, on the list waiting for... <clears throat> what sort of market we're talking about. Okay. So it sounds like this could have some ethical implications and otherwise. So one of, one of the reasons I like this article is because I think it does have some implications both for property generally and for the way we defend private property. Okay. Yeah. But I want to wait till the end of the discussion to say what I think those are. So John Harris starts out his, uh, his article by saying, well, you know, suppose that two people come into a hospital and, or just suppose it's one person, you come into a hospital, you need uh, a liver transplant, right? Um, and uh, the hospital, if they have a liver transplant and they trans and they give you that liver, uh, they saved your life, right? Yes. Got it. Great. Well, uh, and then what if you go to the hospital and you need a liver transplant and they don't have a liver? Okay. That's a bummer, right? Okay. Um, well, suppose you go to the hospital and they have a liver and they have a liver and you need a liver and you say, "I need this liver or I'm going to die." And the doctor says, well, I have this liver, but I'm not going to give it to you. That would be a, a bad thing for the doctor to do, right? Withholding the thing from you that would stick your life. And then he says, okay, well, now what if two people come in? And, you know, let's call them Bob and John. And Bob needs a liver and John needs a heart, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they get to the hospital and... Bob and John say, you know, Bob says, I need a liver. And John says, I need a heart. And the doctor says, I don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, we are clean out of hearts and livers. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. And suppose Bob and John aren't very happy with that result. One thing they might say is, what about that guy in room 202 over there who's, who's asleep? <laughs> He's got a heart and a liver, and they both work. Why don't you cut him open? Okay. And uh, give me the heart. So now we're talking. So So now we're talking suggestions of murder. Well, redistributing organs. Right, of course. Right. You're not gonna kill me unless you get a little bit of a liver. Oh, I get you. So we're we're killing one person, but we're saving two. So that's a definite win-win 
or win winning situation for society. Yes. Yeah. Uh, right. In the Benthamite type fashion or something. Yeah. We okay. are choosing between uh, killing one person or letting two people die. Got it. Okay. Um, so John Harris says, let's imagine that organ transplanting has been perfected. Okay. And by that he means there aren't any failed transplants. Right. All right. Um, so right now we know that uh, transplanted organs sometimes can fail. It right. doesn't so always work. Probability so yeah. row that uh, they're not going to go. Success yeah. chance or whatever it is. No. Uh, now he says, let's imagine that transplanting is perfect. We've perfected the technology. And he says, what we ought to do in that case as a society is whenever two people with the same blood type or whatever, two or more people need a different organ, what we ought to do is have a kind of lottery where we pull someone's name from the population and we cut that person up and <laughs> give their organs to the two people that are in need. Okay. Now, what would be the result of this policy? Now, the results of this policy are far more people would lead longer lives. Because for every life we take, we are saving more than one person's life. Yeah. There's actually a book series I read a couple of years back called Unwind. Have you heard of it at all? No. So basically, teenagers, after once they hit 18, can be unwound for their organs okay and uh it's this it's this crazy book so one child was like the fifth child in the family so he was given to the government to do it and like another kid was a foster foster kid and it's it's a crazy story but kind of goes down this like but it's for the greater good <laughs> so there's a book called never let me go which was also made into a movie that's yeah, we'll get kind of the show up show notes yeah. uh, unwind and never let me go yeah but that's the proposal that he puts forward. Now, and, uh, and I guess in addition to the uh, perfect transplant surgery, there's also the some sort of probability that had we not done the surgery, there would have happened to be a donor available the next day or something, or maybe their heart condition would have went away or something or whatever they're diagnosed. So there'd be some chance of that, I guess, is the other part of the uncertainty that I... Sure. I can see entering into yeah. a bigger picture thing. So with you so far. Okay. So one of the things that I like to point out to my students here is think about seatbelt laws, right? Uh, we have seatbelt laws. Now, in general, is wearing a seatbelt what's the result of seatbelt laws? More people survive car crashes, right? Do seatbelt laws kill some people? Yeah, they do. Some people mm -hmm. are trapped by their seatbelt right. in a car accident. But if we take the two num the number of people that die in a car accident from wearing their seatbelt from wearing their seatbelt that number goes from you know without a seatbelt law that number rises when we institute a seatbelt law mm -hmm. right but the number of people that die in a car accident goes down okay. and it goes down by a much larger amount it's all right? about trade-offs yeah so in the organ lottery case the number of people 
that die from having their number being pulled by the government and being vivisected, sure, that goes up from zero to whatever it goes up to, right? Okay. But the number of people who uh, die of organ failure goes down by more than that first number goes up by, okay. necessarily, because we're saving at least two people for every person that we vivisect. Okay. So then the question comes with so, the morality of playing that game, that lottery, well, versus any other. When I present this to my students, virtually everyone's uh, response is, this is a horrible proposal. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's everyone's visceral first reaction. Yeah. This is a really bad proposal. Now, it seems like Harris is surely right, though, that does that this would let more people live longer. Some of the objections are, well, what if we pull, you know, a 16-year-old's name and it's to save two 85-year-old people? That doesn't seem right. And Harris can reply, oh, oh, okay. Is that your problem with the survival lottery? Great. I'm going to make this restriction. We're going to cap it. You can only be a beneficiary of the survival lottery if you are, un if you are under 40. And okay. you can't be a donor to the survival lottery if you are under 20. So since I've done that, surely you're in favor of the survival lottery now, right? <laughs> and most people who even raise that objection, they go, I'm still not on board. And then they reply is, okay, so that wasn't your real objection then, was it? Right. Or people say things like, well, I wouldn't trust uh, the people who are doing the picking to pick correctly, you know, what they probably aren't putting their name in the basket either. Mm -hmm. And we go, Oh, okay. So your objection is that the logarithm, which does the computation isn't being fair. Well, we can make it open source and have it checked or whatever. Yeah. Then you'd be okay with it. Right. And, uh, <laughs> they still go, no, I still don't like it in that case. Right. So what are your initial reactions well, I think, I mean, from the moral perspective, it sounds kind of like, you know, the consequentialist versus someone who's very, you know, deontological with their thoughts, right? I mean, the rules versus the consequence, because the consequence of it might be better, but it sounds like all those objections are with the rules of how it's being picked or whether or not there's like these universal rules that we can even pick someone to sacrifice their lives. And I just think that if you created a formal market system where competition would allow the supply of organs to rise through... I guess the price mechanism, that'd probably be a better solution than a lottery system. I mean, I get it in the reference to the story, but that just sounds like, you know, a subpar solution to me. Okay. So you're saying, well, uh, I don't like this solution because I have a better solution, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Suppose we take your better solution off the table. And I say, we can either do what we have now, or we can have this Oregon lottery system. See, that's tough because, I mean, it's so, it's so up to chance. But, I mean, in a way, couldn't you kind of say it's a lottery system now based on you don't know if you'll ever get sick or when you will get sick. You won't know the availability of organs and the status quo, so it's kind of a crapshoot now. That is exactly Harris's point, right? His point is we all kind of live in this lottery now. You don't know if you're going to get organ failure. You know, that seems to be distributed randomly uh, <laughs> for the most part. My system saves... More lives. So I've got two thoughts that jump to mind. Um, since this is faith and economics, I'll bring up the faith part that first came to mind. 
thou shall not kill. I gr- granted this is a little bit of letting somebody die versus like, are, are we really actively killing somebody that something has come upon themselves and there's a way to let them live, but the only way to let them live is to kill somebody else. That to me falls under the thou shall not kill. What about thou shall not covet thy neighbor's organs or something? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Might have a little coveting going yeah, on here something. too. Uh, and then my, my second thought was constitute more constitutional, I guess, here in the United States of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So what does it mean that you have the right to your life? To me, that's a fundamental right we've established in the United States. That means nobody can take your life, or it's not right for them to take so your life. So do you think you have a fundamental right to that? So just, I mean, kind of just playing devil's advocate, right? But do you think that's a negative or a positive right, whereas the government has to provide for you for that right to live, whereas this lottery would work, or it's a negative right to where they just have no right to interfere with that? They have no right life. to interfere with that, I think. Okay, that, so then you'd be you against this lottery if you get picked. I'm against I'm against, I would be against the lottery Why against based pick, on yeah. the Constitution, I think, from a constitutional standpoint. Now, if you live in another country that doesn't have the, the whole stuff we do in the United States that we enjoy, of life, liberty, pursuit, happiness, then maybe, maybe that's up for debate. So I, I'm thinking of, from a biblical standpoint, that would be my argument, that thou shalt not kill, and then maybe throw in some, sprinkle in some coveting, like Jacob suggests, uh, and then maybe... From a constitutional standpoint, as an American, I've got the right to life. So those are my two thoughts. So let's. Uh, I think that with uh, those pressing questions, uh, will looks like a good time to take a break. And after we come back, I'd also like to bring into this the market for organs in terms of purchasing them. So we haven't touched that. Uh, Justin, you presented this lottery thing, but how about just buying organs? Why aren't we buying and selling these on the on the free market, why are there certain restrictions? And so we'll be back in 30 seconds to start there. The Gortney Institute is seeking a graduate assistant. Earn your MBA with full tuition by participating in fun and impactful events. For more information, check out the Gortney Institute website. To ask a question for our mailbag, send us an email at info at gortneyinstitute.org or call us at 785-248-2551. The Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Justin or Russ today. And so we're back, and um, I left with a cliffhanger of me wondering if the thou shalt not kill and life liberty business has anything to do with the deep philosophical considerations that Dr. Clark brings up. So uh, how'd I do it? Am I holding any water with those or not? 
So I think that somebody who wants to defend the the thou shalt not kill could say something in defense of the organ lottery could say something like we're not killing these people we are just removing their organs and we are doing so repurposing <laughs> uh, and in doing so we are saving more lives so thou shalt not kill is not doesn't mean you shouldn't ever kill you're allowed to do things like yeah, in self-defense well, we we're all yeah. created in god's image each one of us is a snowflake that's unique to god and we all have our calling purpose so i think well, i think there could be some equal rebuttal back that that's uh so this it's also system. Uh, <laughs> i mean we can there are also cases where you know we seem to say things like you know if we know a jetliner is headed toward a building um, what's the, you know, do, are we permitted in shooting it down? Um, even though we know it's full of innocent people, if the building is full of, you know, 10 times as many people. Yeah. So there seem to be cases at least where we are willing to sacrifice innocent people for the greater good. And so it's very tough to find an argument against this case that wouldn't, that succeeds given that we are willing to sa to sacrifice innocent people to the greater good in those other, in, in those other cases. For the, you know, you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in the Constitution part, somebody can say, well, exactly. And the government is, ex you know, making sure that more people have this ability to lead fuller lives. And it is just, if organ, uh, don't, if organ tra transplantation has been perfected, more people lead longer lives and more people are able to fulfill that promise of life, liberty, and See, the pursuit of happiness. See, but you quickly happiness. generalize to people, whereas I think fundamentally it's down to the individual like i even with the god thing i brought up with the we're all created individually uniquely in god's image and so that is the how should i say the unit of measurement is is somewhat uh one way to to look at it and so same thing with the constitution uh we're an american we were born here we have those constitutional rights and so that trickles all the way down to that exact individual unit of measurement non-transferable non substitutable with another American or whatever. Well, what you may be saying there, and this is, I think, the only way to counter Paris's argument, is to just say, no, you have an absolute right to your body as property. And you, this right cannot be overridden. Furthermore, this right does not depend on everybody being better off because individuals have this right. Mm -hmm. And that's the crucial step to make, right? Yeah. Because in Harris's example, absolute everyone property is, right, essentially. Yeah, everyone is better off if you don't have this absolute right. And please know, hate mail, that we're treating human beings as property. You know, <laughs> this is a little bit e econ lingo here, but yes, we have that right. Uh, that is okay. But why I think this is important is because oftentimes, and you find this especially you know, often among economists, is they say things like property rights are important because when everybody has property rights, strict property rights, everybody is better off. But this is an example when we are saying, no, 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 we want property rights even when they don't make everybody better off in the aggregate. Okay. So this is a sense in which we take property rights to be more basic mm -hmm. than aggregate well-being. 
Okay, well, I, I would push back on that part uh, to the extent that having those property rights drilled down to the individual allows for gains to trade to be had through trade and exchange, but doesn't say that it's normative that we have to garner those, if that makes, I, I'm not sure I'm making crystal clear case here that somehow we have property rights to make everybody better off. I would push back against that statement saying that we have property rights so that you have the opportunity, maybe even time back to the pursuit of happiness as you see it, you have the opportunity to exchange those property rights if you think that will make you better so, off. So are you basically just saying like property rights allow you to engage in your own purposive action to fulfill your own ends? Yeah. Sounds like you're doing a little Mises. Here and there, Checkers here and there. Up on Mises here a little bit. <laughs> well, I was just making sure that's how yeah, I Yeah, I'd say that's, that's the gist of it, yeah. So that is fine, right? But uh, again, note that we are saying property rights are more basic. Yeah, they're trickling down to that individual, yeah. Or, I mean, there's no common good, I guess, is the way, is kind of the strong way that I, I'm following a little bit from uh, Jim Buchanan, that the common good doesn't exist. The public good doesn't actually exist. It's just a, it's a manifestation of everybody's individual good as they see it. And it might be a statistical artifact that we can add up together people's income or number of puppy dog pets that they do in a day or something. And somehow that is adding to the common good, but the common good really doesn't actually exist except as how it's perceived by each individual or given by each individual. Well, now it seems like you are objecting to the entire thought experiment, period. <laughs> uh, okay, how so? I'm not sure if I am or because not. Because the I, entire I point of the thought experiment <laughs> was, look, in this, under this scenario, uh, more people lead happier lives. So you're putting societal welfare above property rights, right? If you put societal welfare, if societal welfare is your ultimate goal, it seems very, very hard to avoid Harris's conclusion yeah, uh -huh. that we need to have a lottery. A benevolent right? government to pass out organs and make everyone yes, happy. It's, it's very hard for a utilitarian to avoid the argument that a survival lottery is necessary. So if you want to avoid that conclusion, you have to either say something like, there's no such thing as the common good, which you might find problematic because <laughs> you might want to deploy it later and then somebody might say, but you just said there's no such thing as the comic yeah. game, right? Well, I'm not one uh, to deploy that later usually, yeah. so I... And because uh, a lot of times you find markets and private property justified on utilitarian grounds. And that might not be the way you justify it. Right. But that is a way that markets and private. Oh yeah, I would justify. totally agree that that gets misunderstood by yeah. possibly the majority of people. Yes, I think they misunderstand that, and that's part of what hopefully our institute's all about is thinking about some of the philosophical underpinnings of why the markets benefit society through individual action and um, whether that's through divine objectives of trying to serve God or whether you're just trying to serve yourself as a pure, full-blown atheist, one of my trans objectivists, uh, Ayn Rand form, those two people, the, the person serving God and the person serving strictly themselves can actually exchange with each other and still make 
each other better off. And that's the beauty of the whole system, which I think is divine, that we can all cooperate together. But I would push back that that is the end that we're serving. See, sure. The, um, no, so uh, the one thing that I think this thought experiment does well is if the idea of an organ lottery makes you uneasy and you realize that utilitarian is, utilitarians seem to be compelled to support it given their premises, the, the only way to avoid this conclusion is to realize that property rights are more primary than overall general utility or whatever utilitarian wants to say. And if that's the case, if you have a primary right to your body, then we can talk about different ways to satisfy the organ demand, given that you own your body. Mm -hmm. And so that would be a way to bring up markets. Uh, well, and that's why I asked Russ about, you know, the negative versus positive right distinction, because I think that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness probably would be a negative right, whereas that's dictated by you, and no one's obligated to furnish that for you, whereas in the lottery, it sounds kind of like what that would be, right? Well, and tied into that is that every other individual in your society with the life, liberty, and yeah. pursuit has that same right. exact right, so you have no right to infringe on that other person's right. You can do whatever the heck you want to. That's the whole negative aspect of it, right? Mm -hmm. You've got full freedom as long as you're not infringing on their exact identical right that they have. Well, and that's where I think the market system would be better because that would allow for, I, I guess, creative improvements where the one person's made better off by receiving the payment and the other person's made better off by receiving the organ. But of course, that's not fair. Why is that not fair? The person chose to sell it. Because then well, the rich person can buy the liver or the heart, but the poor person can't. We should just say that when we talk about markets, we're talking about markets and organs. Yes, yes, right, yes. Yeah, we're, we're restricting yeah. to the organ market here, yes. And then we've got people in, uh, you know, poor parts of India that are uh, selling, willingly selling off to the evil capitalists their kidney for 20 bucks so that they can eat the next day. I don't think Not that's... really understanding the full consequences of selling their kidney to some rich american that's kind of where things get interesting <laughs> so i mean my pushback might that be a is whole whole other podcast that already here. happens in domestic services right i mean because you can't just because the person selling the service is worse off than the buyer because that's why they're taking the money doesn't mean that doesn't it's not justified i mean most people providing services like you know a ride share for example they're probably the person providing the rides probably worse off than the person buying the ride you know what I mean? Like just because one well, party sure. is elevated over the other doesn't mean that it's discounted, right? But the potential for and the uses and one well, in a dynamic market, you know, social or you know, mobility within the marketplace too. I mean, no, you don't have to stay rich or poor, right? So it's not going to be just like this elite class of people that can buy organs. People can move in or out of that class, right? In theory, they can, but the mobility between the classes empirically is is relatively small. But do they have that opportunity to do it? Yeah, I mean, that's where you get a lot of the tension back on the, on the other side is to say, oh, the system's rigged and the rich stay rich and the poor stay poor. Uh, don't get me wrong. I don't I don't that's to, true. I don't, I'm, just, I'm just saying the arguments that are, that are out there, and, and it is true, I'd like to think we live in the land of opportunity, but um, the reality is that we start off with an unlevel playing field. And uh, is it the government's job to level that playing field? I feel like we're starting to get a little away from organs here, and I would like to stay on, on organs, but uh, well, those are fun. Well, then maybe we ought to say, I think it's about 23 people a day that die 
from organ failure because there aren't uh, an available donor. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that you? you, you or you've seen that? So uh, my students always look it up every year <laughs> in the middle of my lecture. <laughs> hey, so it's, it's between 19 and 25, depending on okay. the year that they look okay. up. Um, now, it's currently illegal to sell your organs, right? Right. And it's also currently illegal to accept payment to become a donor upon death. Mm. And... Oh, because it would benefit your... Okay, yeah. No, but I think a lot more people would... Yeah. ...accept payment today right. to become donors Tomorrow. upon death. Yeah. Um, and so there seem to be a lot of solutions that we could implement that are short of an organ lottery that do respect people's rights to their organs that could reduce that number of 23 people a day who are dying due to organ failure. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for... And so, so currently our law is you can donate it, period, but that's it, right? I mean, yep. you, can, you can donate. And so if, if some guy who needs a organ of some sort and somebody gets in a car crash, and that person had checked the little box, uh, I will readily admit I am an organ donor for mine, because I figure I might as well donate, and um, sometimes I'm not always the most generous guy in the world, but I thought, well, that's the least I can do, right? <laughs> I don't probably give enough in other areas, so yeah, well, as long as I'm gone, you can take an organ or two or three of mine. So anyway, I've always checked that box since I was 16, or whenever the first time I had the opportunity. But that's what it takes to get the organ, is, an event like that happening. Yes. And so... Um, Which at that point, I mean, a lot of them could be ruined anyway, right? Right, yeah. I, I, but, it, but that's probably what... Whatever that current system is, why we result in 23. So without that being a possibility, maybe it's 40 a day or something, right? It's something higher. I mean, that's yeah. the status quo. And there's that's, essentially zero incentive... That's right, yeah. ...today to become a donor. And there is a massive demand for organs. Yeah. And we have... Currently, legally, no way to align those incentives. I have to mention this behavioral economics, checking the box. There's an interesting study with Austria and Germany, and it basically, by changing the checkbox, so instead of the default being, I agree to donate my organs, check the box, it is check this box if, if you, you don't, don't <laughs> agree to, to do the organs. And it was dramatic, like 80% more donors. And so that was kind of a framing question, a little out, outside of what we're talking about, but <clears throat> nonetheless, um, something that did have a significant impact on just how we even frame the question on, on asking people. And so hopefully they've um, implemented that by now here in the United States, that it's the default that you don't want it done, but I'm not, I'm not 100% That's sure. Interesting. Well, on the other uh, aspect that I, I think we're about maybe ready to wrap this one, but uh, the organ matching uh, with the donors. There was an economist that did some interesting work, uh, and I think he got the Nobel Prize. I didn't research ahead because I wasn't sure we were going to go here, but I, I think there's more to talk about with organs. We could also get into uh, markets for uh, hunting with uh, wild ant safari animals, and um, just kind of unusual markets might be an interesting talk. Rhinoceros, the elephant tusks, whatever. You know, Teach an environmental ethics class. So yeah. Great stuff okay. Like okay. Yeah. So I did get the Nobel Prize. Let's, let's put matching. that up. Let's put that on our notes. So, so yeah, with the with the matching thing though, um, since it is legal to donate, if if Jason uh, can't accept my donation and I want to donate to her, then I can put myself into this matching program that this economist 
uh, designed and it was similar to something else. I can't remember what it was, but then all of a sudden Jacob's able to take a match from me and Jacob happens to be a match with Jason. Then we have a triangular match. Like I'm, it all started with me donating. I donate mine to Jacob. Jacob donates to Jason and it's all fine. And so it was kind of this interesting case. So yeah, I think we'll have to bring that up in the future podcast. Yeah. All right. Any last words on uh, the Oregon lottery? I will also say that uh, when I give this article to my students, I always have one or two students who write a paper in defense of the, of the lottery. Of the lottery. Yeah. And saying that's a great idea. And they are always by far some of the best papers of the semester because these students are very, very consistent. Mm. Right. At least they're consistent. That's right. (laughs) All right. So on behalf of the Gordon Institute here at Ottawa university, we'd like to thank you all for listening and, If you like what you hear, please uh, put a five-star rating. Uh, It helps us climb the ranks and helps other people find us. And uh, we also have a little donate button on the GortneyInstitute.org, our website, uh, along with some other things there. Our blogs are there and whatnot. So uh, other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.